Hey friend, welcome to Java with Julie. I'm Julie Slattery. Let me remind you that this podcast is listener supported and it's an outreach of the ministry Authentic Embassy, which is dedicated to helping people make sense of God and their sexuality. Over the years, we've talked a lot about the fallout of purity culture that was so dominant within the church during the 80s and the 90s. And while I've loved those conversations, most of them have been from the perspective of women, exploring how purity culture has really impacted their understanding of sex and left them with mixed feelings about their sexuality. Well, today's episode is going to be a little bit different. Finally, we're going to get to hear the other side of the coin and talk about how purity culture has affected men. My guest today is Pastor Noah Filipiak. He's the author of Beyond the Battle and the founder of Beyond Ministries, which is a ministry that helps men find accountability as they seek to know who they are in Christ and live with integrity in our sexualized world. Now, Noah's stories is in many ways the same story for a lot of Christian men. He battled to save sex for marriage, only to find that marriage was not the sexual utopia that he had imagined. Now, this is a great episode if you are someone trying to understand your husband and a great episode for men who are seeking to understand some of the damaging behaviors and thought patterns they picked up from purity culture. Now, grab your coffee and let's head to the coffee shop for my conversation with Noah Filipiak. Well, Noah, what a joy to have you on job with Julie. I uh, didn't know about you until a few weeks ago, but I, I read your book over the last few days and I'm a big fan. So, you know, I feel like in our ministry, we have talked a lot about the impact of purity culture, particularly on women and, uh, you know, working with women, particularly in their thirties and forties, kind of the fallout of some of the more reductionistic messages about sex they received and how it impacted them. But I think you've done a great job of describing the impact on men who went through the purity movement. So I'd love for you just to start maybe with some of your own personal testimony of you know how you ended up in the place that you are today, so passionate about this topic. Yeah. Thanks a lot, Julie. It's great to be on. I've listened to your podcast and I feel the same. It's refreshing to hear similar message out there that we're talking about and beyond the battle, you know? Um, and so thank you. Yeah. My story, I mean, really the, there's several chapters of it. So I'll, I'll start with how the purity culture piece really affected me. Uh, and then we can go either forward or backwards from there. Mm -hmm. When my wife and I got married, we were both virgins and, um, you know, I still teach that. I want to, I want to be clear that I still think sex is meant for marriage, but when I was growing up in church, sex was really the prize. It was uh, for guys, it's the reward. So, you know, don't look at porn, look to your wife. That's a common message uh, that, that uh, I was taught in youth group. And then when I started reading sexual purity books in college, it was really just channel all these desires, you know, towards your wife. Mm -hmm. And if you're, if you're single, then it's like, then you better get married. Like you better get married so you can have sex. And so, what that did to me, we entered marriage and I entered with just an incredible amount of entitlement. And that's really where things started to fall apart uh, for me personally and, and in my marriage. The entitlement piece, wow, that was a big one. I mean, the first several chapters of my book are dedicated to that. And, and how, how do we, we acknowledge that entitlement as guys, that we feel this entitlement about sex. We're going to our wife and really the way I've described it before in blog posts and whatnot is 
Like I saw my wife, like she was a sex vending machine. Like, like I earned this, yeah. uh, I did it God's way. And, and again, I, I'm not proud of that. I say that, you know, repentantly did a lot of damage, uh, but that's, that's indirectly, you know, that's indirectly what we were taught. The other thing, and, I, and I'll, I'll kind of land the plane here for now. We were never taught, I was never taught to not objectify women. I was basically just taught objectify my wife. So again, don't look at porn, look at your wife that way. And that's a huge piece too that, that we tackle in Beyond the Battle and that a lot of guys struggle with and I think messes up a lot of marriages because guys are looking to their wife as the object basically to be their pornography and not seeing their wife as a whole person, um, not seeing intimacy as something that is not just sexual, but that is relational. And uh, so those are a couple of the, the big ways that purity culture really set uh, me up to fail to the point that I was three years into my marriage. I was a senior pastor at the time, and I was looking for a divorce. I was looking to go live a promiscuous sexual lifestyle because mm. uh, I felt so burned, so to speak, uh, by God and by this, you know, I, I did it God's way and it didn't work and, you know, all these sorts of things. Yeah. No, I hear that same thread so often coming from women where uh, they, they are so disappointed by the way marriage has turned out or sex has turned out or that marriage hasn't happened when they were yeah. sort of promised that if you live this kind of life, God will reward you. And I think your story just testifies to that, that when we're talking about sex, we're not just talking about sex. We're also talking about faith. And a lot of people you know, are not just ready to walk away from marriage or walk away from biblical sexuality, but it, it really undermines their trust in God. And so I wonder, like, as a, as a pastor at that time, when you're facing all this d- disappointment, like, what was the spiritual battle underneath that in terms of even just clinging to your faith? Yeah, that was huge. And I want to be clear, as I was wrestling through this, I didn't want to abandon my faith. I didn't want to abandon my marriage. I remember during that time memorizing Proverbs 5. I mean, memorizing the whole thing, Mm -hmm. saying it, trying it, just like, but the desire was there. The entitlement piece was there. And it was like, God, if I don't have this, I have to have this, right? And um, so for, for me, I was constantly going to God with this. And I'd encourage any men and women listening, go to God with your pain. Go to God. Don't run away from him. Go to him. He can handle it. And it was in those conversations with God, you know, I was saying, God, give me what I deserve. And and again, I want to say this wasn't my wife's fault. I was asking my wife to give me what only Jesus can give me. Uh, and I had a very contorted view of what sex was. And mm-hmm. so... Um, so I just want to be clear there. No woman or man can give you what only Jesus can give you. So I'm going to God and what broke me, and this may not work for everybody, but what broke me in my entitlement was God saying, you don't want me to give you what you deserve. And it's a, it's a piece of the gospel we're not always comfortable talking about. And, and I do want to be sensitive to that. I don't, I don't think we should preach the gospel about what we're, you know, the punishment we would get if we don't receive Christ. But I know the gospel well. I'm a pastor. I've been walking with Jesus a long time. And the Holy Spirit was like, you don't want me to give you what you deserve. Trust me. <laughs> you know, you, you deserve eternity separated from me. You don't deserve my love. You deserve what your sins have earned. And it was a wake-up call for me. It was a wake-up call that I, I wasn't living into the gratitude of the gospel, that I was acting like the gospel was a consolation prize of some kind, 
I wasn't living into the riches of the gospel. And by gospel, I, I unpack that to mean the love of God for me. I was looking to my wife to love me in a way that only God can love me. And the key shift was shifting from entitlement, God, give me what I deserve, to, oh, mercy from God is actually not getting what I deserve. Then everything he has given me is a gift. And beginning to shift my view that my wife is a gift, everything is a gift. This cup of coffee is a gift. Talking to you is a gift. Um, do I live in that perfectly? No, but it changed my life. It took the weight of, it's like drinking poison when you're living entitled. And it took that away. It was like I could breathe fresh air again and be thankful to God. Thank you, God, for all that you've given me. And my wife is a pretty great person. Thank you. Not give me more, give me more, give me more. So mm -hmm. that was a huge, huge turning point for me mm -hmm. about three years into my marriage. Before that turning point, what did you think you deserved? What was the narrative going on in your uh, head? <laughs> yeah, we, we can be real. We're on Java with yes, Julie, right? Uh -huh. More sex, uh -huh. more sex. Um, yeah, and I, I started to look around at the time. So I, I went to a Christian college and, you know, it was pretty normal there to save sex from marriage, you know, kind of thing. I was living at this time in uh, Michigan State University, Lansing, East Lansing area. That's where I pastored in Michigan here. And sex was everywhere. I, I It was just like this environment of sex. Um, women were just to feel like they were, there was just a, a sexual charge in the atmosphere, flirtatious, uh, you know, all these sorts of things. And I started thinking, wow, that's better. Like my friends in high school went to public high school, non-Christian friends. Uh, I always grew up thinking they've got it wrong. God's way is better. And I'm 24 now going, no, my friends had it right. Mm -hmm. the, God's way is wrong. Their way is better. I'm going to go live that life. And uh, that's what I was starting to think was my only option mm -hmm. was to go live a promiscuous yeah. life. And thank you for sharing so honestly, because you're not the only the only person who has wrestled through that. Again, I, I hear the echoes of what you're saying and so many stories that people share with me. You talk about some major shifts in thinking that you went through and that you also encourage particularly young men to go through. Uh, not not just young men. You know, I think yeah. all Christians, this is applicable. But I want to talk through some of these that you cover in your book. And I also want to mention that you have online groups for guys to go through this book. And um, you know, I've already told a few people about it because I think Thanks. what you're doing is fantastic. But one of the for the first shifts that I'd like to dive into is this idea of we get married to have sex. And this is a big part of your story. I currently have lots of nieces and nephews and people I know in this stage of life where they're in their 20s and they're trying to follow the Lord. And all they know is, I want to get married. I want to find a spouse. I want to be able to have sex. And I've heard stories very recently of Christian kids that get married quickly, primarily because they want to have sex. Can you kind of talk through why that's not healthy or even biblical thinking? Yes. I mean, on a practical level, if, if they're listening, I, I would say it's just a setup for failure in marriage. I mean, I, I can tell you from my guys, my alumni guys, and certainly my story was on the brink of this. I never, I never went over the edge, but Christian guys that got married for sex. And then there's a lot more to marriage than sex, mm -hmm. first of all. And second of all, when you have, you, you get married, you know, things change. 
you might think you're going to have lots of sex. You know, you're not mm-hmm. necessarily. And another myth is if you're looking at porn, that marriage will replace that, that I'll stop looking at porn when I get married. That doesn't happen either. Uh, so I'd say, you know, classic story is you get married for sex. The sex becomes unsatisfying. The marriage becomes unsatisfying. And now what? And, that, you know, now you're married to a person that maybe you shouldn't have married. You know, maybe maybe you weren't, you didn't date long enough to really connect. But at the end of the day, in my story, I didn't know what love was. I did definitely love my fiance, my wife. Um, I loved her in the way I the way I define love or the way I was taught what love was. It was an infatuation. And maybe you can't learn that until you're married. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe you, you can only learn that through uh, the trials of marriage. But looking back, and I've, I have apologized to my wife and repented of that, love was selfish. Love, if you look at 1 Corinthians 13, you know, one little phrase that always stands out to me is love is not self-seeking. And my love was extremely self-seeking. It was, I'm attracted to you. You make me feel good. Uh, I, I get this charge when I'm around you. I want to have sex with you. I want to have sex, you know, all, the, all these sorts of things. And so I've had to learn really what, what love is. That's what, what God has had to do. Uh, and then last, I will say for those listening that are single, um, the first chapter of my book, well, now it got, it got bumped back to, it's called A Note from the Author, but it used to be the first chapter of the book. It's to singles, and it just says to churches for singles too, mm-hmm. and really trying to destigmatize singleness in the church and look at the value of singleness. And there's a lot of things singles can do that married people can't do. And um, I'm not talking about sexually. I'm talking about in life. There's a lot of freedoms there. I'm not saying one is better than the other, but s- Satan's biggest deception is trying to get single people. Single people are all well, at least for me and many, uh, single people are discontent with their singleness and they want to be married. Oh, I want to be married so bad. Married people are discontent with marriage and with their with their spouse. And, oh, I want to be single so bad. And Satan's got both of us uh, in discontentment. And the key for both of us is to find contentment mm-hmm. and gratitude yeah. in the space, that, in yeah, the space and, that we're in. Yeah, that's such an important message. And it's one that we talk about often, not just individuals, but to church communities about uh, changing the way the church in general views singles, not as, yes. all right, oh, like huge. you're in the holding pen until you get married, but <laughs> like you're a fully mature Christian and you can live the fullness of life. Yeah. People will often point to uh, a scripture from one of Paul's letters that says it's better to marry than to burn. And they'll say, see, Paul even said that, you know, if you're burning with sexual desire, find a spouse and get married as quickly as you can. You are a pastor. You've studied the scripture. (laughs) How might we be taking that out of context? Yeah. So I just did a series on first Corinthians. Like we just preached through it recently. So um, thank you for asking me something that I've done. I've done recently, but now I'm putting myself on the spot. (laughs) Let me just say first, the church of Corinth was a mess. I mean, they were a mess, mess, mess. If you start in Chapter five, the man sleeping with his stepmother, probably, uh, you know, and bragging about it and boasting about it. And I mean, they were they were a very, very dysfunctional church. So by the time you get to chapter seven, you, you really have to keep that in context. Basically, there's two different messages given to uh, this single people in Corinth, the single people in Ephesus. And I think we have to take that into consideration that, yes, there's that one verse there, but it's also buried within a whole chapter that's on singleness. And he's saying singleness is better. We look at Paul was single. Jesus was single. 
I think when I when I preached on that, one thing I said that the first the early church had an advantage over us is that people got married when they were 13 and 14 years old sometimes. Mm-hmm. You know, they, they they got married when they hit puberty, they could start having kids. Uh, it was just a very, very different culture then. Certainly some people were still single as we see, you know, in the scriptures. But I think it's important we can't just pick a verse that, oh, well, this this little section of this verse helps out my situation without looking at all of the rest of it. And when I look at 1 Corinthians 7, the whole thing, uh, to me, that's a, that's a passage saying, uh, even the verse about the gift of singleness, I've heard people say, well, I wasn't given that gift because I, I burn with passion. And I don't think that's what Paul's saying. I don't think he's saying, if you have the gift, then that means you love singleness. I think he's saying singleness is a gift. Mm-hmm. You've been given the gift of singleness. It's yours. So while you're single, open the gift, enjoy the gift. And marriage is a gift too. Yeah. So while you're married, open the gift uh, it is a challenging text. I, you know, I don't, I don't know if I have a home run answer to it, but I know we can't just pluck it out and say, well, there you go. You know, that means what it means. I think it, it was really specific to Corinth. There was a lot of crazy stuff going on in Corinth and Paul's doing the best he can to try to get right. singles to be singles and try to keep sex within marriage. Yeah. Maybe one way of phrasing it is that, and Paul even says this, that he was speaking to very immature Christians. Oh yeah. Uh, and, you know, he even goes on to say, yeah, I can't give you the solid food. Like you should be advancing way beyond where you are. Like we're just, I just got to go back to the basics with you. Uh, and so, uh, you know, that kind of statement is really for that immature Christian, but it yes. needs to be taken into context. And, you know, and I've heard that that verse quoted, not just from people who are getting married impulsively, but I've also heard it from people who've been married a long time and are very disappointed in marriage in their sex life. And they're saying, you know, the Bible told me to get married if I had sexual desire. And now, you know, I have a wife who has all this trauma in her past and uh, she doesn't want to have sex. Or I have a wife with a really low desire. I feel completely cheated by God. Uh, And I know at some level that's where you were those first three years of marriage. But there are men who are in that situation 20, 30 years into marriage So what encouragement would you have for men in terms of not just staying stuck on that verse or even 1 Corinthians, the first few verses of 1 Corinthians 7, but really going beyond in terms of what is the mature love that God is calling husbands to and how they steward their sexual relationship? Yeah, well, I I would start with if you're in that situation, you know, we have to get our... um, we have to look below the surface and say, what is it I'm, that I'm looking for from this sexual relationship? Certainly there's a physical side to it, but I think we have to get to our deeper needs of our identity, our approval, our acceptance, our validation. And if we can get those needs met in healthy, godly ways through community, through healthy friendships, uh, again, with our Beyond the Battle groups, our alumni group, that's what we really emphasize is how can we affirm each other in the love of Christ we need to not only believe it with the left side of our brain, we need to experience it with the right side of our brain and really experience other people embodying the love of Christ to us. You are loved, you are accepted. Because when we're not having sex in our marriage uh, or in a single a single person the same, we think, well, I'm not loved, I'm not accepted, I'm not valued. And I think those are often the deeper desires that drive that sex drive. And so if we can get those deeper needs met through Jesus and through Jesus' community, and be really intentional. And I mean, go really deep, like have really deep friendships where we really can affirm 
these things. That goes a long way. Mm. That, uh, that really helps. Hey, it's almost time for Reclaim 2.0. That's our virtual conference, Reclaim, and is coming up February 2024. From February 15th through February 17th, I'm going to be joined by experts Dr. Jennifer Degler and Michael Seitzma, and you'll hear personal testimonies, my teaching, and live Q&A sessions. The early bird tickets cost just $67, and Authentic Intimacy members also receive a discount on that. Now, if you're like Noah and you've experienced this disconnect between what God says marriage and sex are supposed to be and what you've experienced in your own marriage, this is an event that will really help you navigate that. For more information about Reclaim or to register, click the link in the show notes. Now back to my conversation with Noah. Noah, I, you know, I feel like women have been telling men for, uh, for generations, sex is more than physical, but men tend to, and I'm generalizing here, but a lot of men just think of sex as a physical need and we can unpack whether or not it's a need in a minute. But Mm -hmm. I'd love for you to talk about why that's such a disconnect. A lot of your book is dealing with and these issues of affirmation and identity and love. Um, But for a lot of guys, they separate the physical urge to have sex and the physical experience of sex from those deeper emotional or spiritual needs. Yeah. Well, you know, there's a lot of controversy around the difference between men and women, and I'm not just going to say I'm an expert on it. Um, But I, I I think I know that guys, when we're, can you look at what our culture celebrates? And it's so, I mean, I, I'm 40 now just to to date kind of when I was going through adolescence was like the mid nineties, the internet was just starting to come out. So pornography was, was now widespread in my middle school and high school years. Uh, but I still grew up in the football locker room. Guys are passing Playboy magazines around. Guys are talking about the pornography videos that they've watched. I mean, it, it was a very open thing. And beyond that, Sports Illustrated, Swimsuit Edition, it's just this. these things are so culturally accepted by our culture. Mm-hmm. Uh, I had a stat in Beyond the Battle that that magazine was the number one selling magazine for all the time magazines, you know, magazine franchise, the Swimsuit Edition, all this stuff. So our culture is so okay with men doing that. Yeah. Our culture, it has taught us as men, I want to say in a way, like men need to have compassion on themselves. And I would ask women to have compassion on men that we have been raised in a culture that is, that has like taken this thing that's pretty innate in us anyway, this physical desire. And then there's an exaggeration of that, that has been encouraged. Uh, whether you're Christian or a non-Christian, it's been, it's just been put in your face over and over and over and over again. And, and for example, like a woman could maybe watch a TV show where there's sex in it and she doesn't, maybe, maybe she does, maybe she doesn't. Again, not all women are the same. Not all men are the same. Uh, but for some women seeing the sex in the show, it may not, it, I don't know, it may not cause them to stumble or, or do much for them. Whereas for the guy, they're like, that's it right there. That's what, that's what I need. That's what I want. It reinforces the pattern of what you just said, that we can just have sex is just physical. We're just taught it our whole life. We're taught our whole life that sex is just physical through all of this stuff that is pumped in front of our faces. And yeah, it's, it's no wonder that pornography, sex, it's the top selling, you know, commodity of all time. Mm -hmm. Uh, So what we have to do is biblically say, okay, uh, I'm not a citizen of this world. I'm a citizen of Jesus kingdom. And I, I'm going to look at scripture. I'm going to look at what love is. 
Uh, what does it mean to love my wife the way Christ loves the church? What does it mean to just love? What does it mean to love women? What does it mean to give dignity and respect to women uh, and not see them as objects, not see them as bodies? To understand that love involves emotions, vulnerabilities, insecurities. When we make our, our vows uh, at, our, at our, our wedding day, we're not marrying a body. We're marrying a person. I mean, we're not marrying a set of body parts. We're marrying a whole person. And to really have to unpack that, it takes time. It's a path of discipleship. Uh, it's what we sign up for when we say we want to follow Jesus. Mm-hmm. So is it common for men to like interact with their wives emotionally and spiritually everywhere else, but as soon as they cross the bedroom threshold, like to, to switch to this is about the physical, this, you know, this is about a body. Um, have you seen that pattern? Well, I've read, you know, some, right, some books I've read recently that quote men and surveys and things like that, like things husbands have told their wives. And I'm shocked. I'm mm-hmm. like, wow, I, I can't believe a guy, a Christian guy would say that to his wife about mm-hmm. sex. Mm-hmm. So um, it's certainly out there. Yeah. I could look at the early years of my marriage and say, yeah, mm-hmm. that's probably what I was doing. Yeah. And it was it was hurting my wife. It was harming my wife. Yeah. So I, 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 I don't think it's, I, I don't want to paint with too broad of a brush. I think there's some guys that are really caring and sensitive and there's deeper issues going on. You know, this is a really complicated it thing is. and yeah. often requires incredible marriage counseling and talking to, you know, sex therapists about this stuff, like, you know, that are Christians and coming at it from a biblical perspective, but to bring healing. And sometimes a man or a woman has to learn, um, you know, to see sex as a good thing and Mm -hmm. to, you know, and I'm not saying that that isn't, that isn't often there, but for us as guys, if it's the tendency in our marriage where the guy has the higher sex drive, where the guy might have a history of pornography and kind of being pumped into these messages, it's really going to be up to the guy. And that's why I I can talk pretty directly to guys and say, you know, we have to love our wives. We have to love like Jesus. We have to learn what love is. We have to sacrifice ourselves. And sex is not a need. I mean, it. it to back to that question, I, I, it just, it can't be a need because Jesus didn't have sex. Paul didn't have sex. You can get through your day without sex. I mean, you, you needs are, are um, I think connection is a need, but there's many ways of getting connection without sex. Yeah. Sex is good. Sex is good. And we should work in our marriages towards having healthy sex lives. But I think once we start saying it's a need, that's when the entitlement switch flips on. And then we start making all kinds of rationalizations for our behavior. Mm -hmm. And as you noted, this training goes way back. Uh, It goes back to the narratives that you grew up hearing and how pornography has trained our brains to think of it as a need. And if you have been using pornography and masturbation and sex to deal with loneliness and depression and isolation and anxiety, then it is going to feel like a need because I don't know how else to deal with negative feelings. And that's why, you know, this isn't just about reading one book and hearing one concept, but really saying, okay, God, like I've got some deep work to do to retrain my thinking on this and even how my brain responds. Um, So, and I know that's a big big emphasis of your book and your own journey as well. It's not just like, okay, I got this information. Now I'm good. Yeah. Uh, and I'd love for you to even speak to that. Like what has your journey been like from sort of some aha moments of seeing things differently to actually being discipled to where you're interacting in your marriage differently? 
Yeah, that's huge. And I, I think uh, it's really important that we don't think we can just read any book and now we're solved. I think we have to understand this is a discipleship journey and we can't do it alone. There are some churches that have some good groups. And I'm a pastor and I, I love church and I love small groups, but you're not going to get to the depth you need to get in a standard you know, church small group. What we learned doing Beyond the Battle groups and in my own journey was we had to continue the community together after reading the book, so to speak. So, and that was for myself, you know, I did an independently published version of Beyond the Battle. We started doing the groups and I kind of thought I had this stuff down. It was solved. And I, I really was strong. It's probably the strongest I've ever been as far as temptation, really everything you read in the book. I mean, I'm living that out. No desire for pornography is like, you can get to the point where you don't desire it. It was, it was beautiful. What I did is I let my guard down I kind of thought subconsciously became like the answer man, you know? And mm -hmm. so I'm helping guys in these groups and I have all the answers and I stop having what I call vulnerable community in my own life. And I start making small compromises and small compromises. And meanwhile, my wife and I, you know, we move, we switch jobs. We have this just kind of life going on in our marriage. And so there's new stressors in our life. And man, there's a red alert going on in, in me because I've been there before. You know, I, I have been there before as a pastor where you slide back down that. And I think this is a tangent, but I think where we see Christian leaders fall sexually, it's because they we got to a point where we think uh, we're different. Like we don't need vulnerable community and we become the answer man or answer woman and we just isolate. And that was what I was starting to do. And so as I was working on the second edition of Beyond the Battle, which is the current edition that's out, and I start realizing I have to go all hands on deck for, mm -hmm. for me when it comes to community. And so I developed a uh, email group of really close mentors and friends uh, that I send stuff out to. And then that's really when we started our Beyond the Battle alumni, which is free. And it's just a weekly, we actually, we have two, uh, currently two different Zoom meetings that meet weekly. And we just do accountability. We encourage each other and we affirm each other and these truths of the gospel. We affirm that we are loved by Jesus and we remind ourselves of that. Uh, but we have to be reminded of that. On podcasts like this, we have to be reminded of it in groups like that because uh, we forget. And when we forget, we go back to being that lonely self that thinks I need sex to meet this need. And you don't. You, you need Jesus to meet the need and you need you need people embodying that love in your life. So in my own journey, I've had to live that out in a real way where it got to a scary point. Um, but again, be tenacious. I tell that all the time to guys, be tenacious in your freedom and do whatever you have to do. And so we do these groups now. It's They're awesome. There's some of the deepest friendships that I have in my life. And it wasn't if it wasn't for those guys, I'm, I can pretty much tell you I'd, I'd have in one way or another fallen off the cliff at some hmm. point in the last few hmm. years. Boy, that's a good word. And Noah, another kind of thinking shift or paradigm shift that you challenge guys to have is to move away from what you call like kickback sex. And you, you kind of reflect on the fact that a lot of marriage books will kind of give you advice like, hey, here are your wife's needs. If you start to meet her needs, then she'll meet your needs. Um, and so, you know, talk to her and bring her flowers and be kind to her and listen and do housework because that's the way you're going to get sex. And there's an element of, okay, like there's some wisdom there, but the underlying message is love her so that you get what you want. 
And uh, I'd love for you to talk about how we can get out of that kind of thinking in marriage and why that's so necessary. Yeah. Yeah. Kickback love. Uh, that That's something that burned me in those years of marriage trying to figure this out where I'm reading those books and going, oh, it's the silver bullet, you know? And what it becomes, again, love is not self-seeking and all of that was self-seeking for me. And again, you're not loving your spouse when you're trying to just get them to do things for you. So if I do this for them, they'll do this for me. It's not what love is. I do name those books uh, in, the, in my book. I just, and I try to be respectful of them. They're bestsellers. Uh, and I just think that they often can increase our entitlement. Because mm. we read the book and guess what? Now I feel like I'm the good spouse doing what the book said and my, my wife or husband, you know, isn't doing what the book said they were supposed to do. We both read the same book and now my entitlement has just doubled. And it's just, um, to me, it makes things worse, not better. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. How do you get out of that thinking and what's the alternative? For me, it's back to appreciation. It's back to gratitude. It's back to, um, I've got any time entitlement, if I sniff it, if it rears its head, I've got to, I've got to get away from it. And to me, the antidote to entitlement is always appreciation and gratitude. Back to God, what do I deserve from God versus what he's given me? He's given me his mercy. He's given me his love. How can that fill me up? How can I then love my spouse out of that? So I think in the kickback love, I'm going to my spouse as like a partial person. Like I'm half of a, I'm half of a semicircle. I'm a broken half and I'm going to them and I'm saying, I need you. You know, I need you to make me this whole person. You need to, you know, com you need to complete me, that, that whole Jerry Maguire thing. Hmm. And that is going to fail every time versus me going to Jesus and saying, hey, I'm broken. I'm insecure. Do you love me? Do you approve of me? Do you accept me? And Jesus says, yes, yes, yes. I love you. I approve you. I accept you. You're my son. You're my daughter. We could go another metaphor where the bride and the bridegroom, there is a romantic love that Jesus has for us. And then that makes me whole. And now I'm whole. And now I can be single and whole. I can be in a marriage that might be unsatisfying and still be whole. And then out of that wholeness, I can love my spouse. Um, out, of, out of that wholeness, I can give the love of Jesus to somebody else uh, because I'm already whole. I don't need something else to fill me up because I'm already filled up. That's the solution. I used this phrase before COVID came out. So don't, don't take listeners in any COVID sort of way. But I said, we can't think of this as a vaccine uh, where we just learn this about Jesus' love and now we're fixed. I think that's what I used to think when I wrote the first edition of the book and we did group after group after group with guys. Uh, and then I realized this isn't a vaccine. It's not a one time, now I'm cured. This is a meal. And I, I eat three meals a day and then some, you know. And so I need to get that meal from Jesus every day that he loves me, he approves me, he affirms me. I get that in my devotional time. I get that in my prayer time. I get that in the music I listen to. And I get that in my Beyond the Battle community with other guys telling me that. I get that from my accountability partners when I'm struggling. I get that meal from Jesus. And that's the solution. It's getting the meal from Jesus, not from sex, the meal from Jesus, not from our spouse. Uh, and then when we do that, uh, we're going to be a blessing to our spouse. And usually when, when we just genuinely bless our spouse, it softens them up. They start mm -hmm. to go... I see a change in you. They, they don't smell any manipulation around it. And again, it's not going to say you're going to have a better sex life, but certainly it's going to increase, I think, the level of, of love and positivity in your marriage. 
Yeah. And I, you know, I'd also speak to uh, maybe small percentage of people who are in really dysfunctional marriages. When you spend that time with the Lord and you have that meal with Jesus, it also will give you the wisdom and discernment of where you need to draw healthy boundaries. Um, and so you're not just staying stuck yeah. in a destructive cycle because you're afraid he's going to leave or uh, you're reacting from fear. Like spending time with the Lord shows you your sin, shows you other people's sin, like how you begin to confront the destruction in your marriage too. So this isn't just a, you know, like put up with anything kind of message. It's getting that strength and those needs met through the Lord so that you can show up in marriage in a healthy way and love in a healthy way. Mm -hmm. And I know that there are people right now who are listening who are in that kind of situation. And you need to hear that spending time with the Lord will strengthen you through that and give you that discernment. Noah, I actually was just meeting with a group of women today that I meet with once a week, kind of discipling them uh, in their relationship with God and marriage. And, you know, part of what we're doing is we are going through some books that help us know, like, how do you get that meal from Jesus? And uh, these women have all grown up in the church. And as they're studying this, they're like, I have been a Christian my whole life mm. and I've never heard this. Uh, and, you know, I think when we, we say Jesus is the answer <laughs> to a difficult marriage or your loneliness and singleness or your unmet sexual needs, it feels so shallow right? because you can have grown up in a church, gone to a Christian college, been raised in a Christian family and not know what it actually means or look looks like for you to have that kind of relationship with God where it really is a meal. So can you describe it maybe even your own journey, how we make that switch from, you know, checking the box as a Christian to really engaging with God in a way where it is substantial. Yes. Yeah. And and that's a question that my alumni guys ask as well. One good resource that's helped me over the years is the book Sacred Rhythms by Ruth Haley Barton. Ruth has helped. She's, you know, comes out of uh what I what I've what I've grown up in pretty traditional evangelical background where we you know we and it's not not bad stuff but we learn we learn about God with the left side of our brain we learn mm -hmm. we learn that God loves us we learn theology but we don't often learn how to experience His love and there's other church uh, traditions within Orthodox Christianity that uh, just ways of ways of experiencing His love and I and I would not call myself a guru a guru in it by any, any means but. Uh, Sacred Rhythms is a nice book because it breaks down different ways of praying, different ways of experiencing God, different ways of just meditating on his love for us. You know, I, um, I, I write somewhere about the one-year Bible, and that used to be the only way I knew how to read the Bible, you know, mm -hmm. and it was like, read the Bible. You read all these chapters every day, and you get through it in a year, and you're like, I did it. I read the Bible, <laughs> you know. And how many times did you read that thing just plowing through verse after verse after verse? And you're not, um, I mean, there's all kinds of metaphors we could use for what, what that's like. I, that's fine. I mean, I think it's, it's good for everyone to read through the Bible, but you don't have to do that as your devotional time forever for the rest of your life. I think it's important to take one concept, you know, one mm -hmm. Psalm, one verse, and just meditate on it. Just think about it, visualize it in your head. Uh, so that's a big one is is learning how to experience God's love in a more experiential way. And the second one really is in community that we, again, church small groups struggle with this. I think church small groups are great for friendships and connection, but we have to then take that to the next level and 
then initiate an intentional group uh, where we are really going to, it's probably not going to be on the church program is what I'm mm-hmm. saying, but it's mm-hmm. you and some of your friends and you're getting together and you're going to go really deep and it's going to be a really vulnerable space. And in that vulnerability, when I'm vulnerable, I believe in grace. And so I'm vulnerable. And when I'm vulnerable, I experience more of grace. And so when I'm vulnerable with others is when I get the chance for others to affirm in me again, those truths, right side of the brain, that I truly am loved. And it is okay for other people, other Christians, to affirm Jesus's love in me. They're not the one completing me. They're reminding me that I'm already complete in Jesus. And I need to be reminded of that over and over and again. And I would just say it's a lifelong journey. So be encouraged if, if you're one of those ladies, be encouraged that you're, you're waking up to this journey and um, don't put pressure on yourself that you have to figure it out or it's going to feel like magic when you do it. Uh, it's a lifelong journey of learning these kind of different ways of experiencing God. Uh, and there are some really great resources out there to mm-hmm. help with that. Yeah, I'll name another book, the one that we're currently going through. It's called Secrets of the Secret Place by Bob Sorge. As there's a lot There's a lot of good resources like that, but I love your encouragement to slow down and engage with the Lord, um, not just cognitively, not just like, you know, like what is this, the theology of this passage, but to hear the love of the Father. Uh, and that that is so key. Yeah, as, as we're wrapping up, I'd love for you just to encourage the man who's listening, who mm-hmm. may be really convicted, like, yeah, I'm a Christian guy, but if I'm honest, I've objectified my wife. Our sex life is a lot about me. Uh, even the nice things I do to my wife are so that I'll get my needs met. What is like a word of encouragement of a step a guy like that can take um, to really follow Christ in a different kind of way in his marriage? Well, yeah, thank you. And I, I would say to guys listening in that situation and really in any situation where you're struggling with a sexual sin is don't try to fix it alone. I think I think this affects men and women both, but as a guy, I can speak for guys. We try to fix everything ourselves. We think, okay, I've learned this, I've listened to this podcast now, I can go fix this. Um, you really need community. You need to reach out for help. And so I'm gonna tell that guy that's in that situation, don't do it alone. Yes, this is a bit of a, a plug for what we're doing, but we're doing it for a reason. This is a missing piece to the, to, and there's other groups out there that are great too, but I mean, we really believe in groups. We really believe in community. And so uh, I would really encourage you, if you're that guy in that situation, join uh, Beyond the Battle group and then join our alumni group. And in doing that, you're going to find other men that are in the same boat you are, and they're learning how to, how to get their needs met from Jesus. And some of them, their lives have gone way off the cliff, and they're saying, don't do what I did. And others are, are several steps before you, and you can say to them, you know, don't do what I did. And we're doing this together. Uh, That's really my biggest encouragement to guys is don't think you have to do it alone. We need each other. We need to be able to encourage each other in this. And there is hope. There is hope for your marriage. There's hope for your wife. There's hope for you. You can change. I changed. You can change. God God is in the business of changing. He's in the business of healing. And uh, that healing is there. But you do have to take that step to get out of your comfort zone and reach out for some help. Well, friend, I hope that conversation was enlightening to you and helpful. I'm really thankful for Noah's vulnerability in explaining his shortcomings in this area. 
and I'm so honored by his continued humility that he strives to overcome wrong thinking. That's something we all need to strive to do on a regular basis. And as you heard during the interview, Noah has founded a ministry called Beyond Ministries, and it's using groups to help men understand who they are in Christ and how to overcome temptations and the feelings of sexual entitlement they may have grown up with. We link to Noah's ministry in our show notes, but I also want to let you know that Noah is running a group through one of our online coaching intensives for men in February 2024 through April on the same topic. Now, I know there are a lot of guys who are trying to figure out God's design for sex and how that practically plays out in their lives. This is going to be a wonderful opportunity to build authentic community around those kinds of questions. And you can also find that link in our show notes. Hey, thanks so much for listening. And if you're enjoying the Job with Julie podcast and would like to be notified about new episodes, click follow in your podcast app. And make sure you hit the bell icon if you're on Spotify and want to receive those notifications. Well, that's all I have for you today, friends. And I look forward to seeing you next time on Java with Julie.